You're listening to an Economy Matters podcast produced by the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. The Federal Open Market Committee concluded a two-day meeting earlier today. The pace of job today. growth has been strong. Downside risks to the outlook for the, the economy. number of Fed officials. The shadow banking system is large. We've come a long way since the darkest day of the financial crisis. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Economy Matters podcast. I'm Tom Heinches, Managing Editor of the Atlanta Fed's Economy Matters magazine. And today we're going to talk about the business of banking. I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast has has some sort of relationship with a bank. You know, we deposit money, withdraw money, maybe take out a loan or a mortgage. It all works so smoothly that we don't really have to think about the complexity that goes into banking. So I've invited John Pellick and Arian Terry, a couple of my Atlanta Fed colleagues from our Supervision, Regulation, and Credit Division, to talk about banks, banking, and and the business of banking. John and Arian, thanks for sitting down with us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. John and Arian, I invited you onto the podcast because I wanted to talk to you about banking, as I mentioned, but maybe not the type of banking people are accustomed to hearing about. I wanted to talk rather a bit about what goes into establishing a bank, setting up bank branches and that sort of inside baseball stuff, which is very important, but doesn't really get all that much attention. And uh, as I just mentioned, you both work in our supervision, regulation, and credit division. Can you just briefly tell listeners what SRC does, uh, you know, without getting too far into the weeds? Sure, Tom. I'll kick us off. I will say that the work we do in SRC helps to promote a safe, sound, and efficient banking and financial system and a fair and transparent consumer financial services market that supports the U.S. economy and makes it more stable. So uh, that's obviously pretty important stuff. How do you go about, in general, achieving those goals? I'll take that one. Um, so the way I like to describe it, essentially, we have bank examiners. And for some folks in kind of the general public, everyone's like, what's a bank examiner? And the way I describe it is kind of like auditors. We send our examiners into banks. They meet with the financial institutions. They supervise the financial institutions. And they look at a lot of different categories from a risk perspective, so credit risk, operational risk, cyber risk. And a lot of the financial side of the house, too. The Atlanta Fed is a bank supervisor. Um, you know, we're one, the Office of the Controller of Currency is another. The Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation is another supervisor. So what kind of financial institutions does the Atlanta Fed specifically supervise? So we have a diverse portfolio of entities that we supervise. They range in different categories from community banking, regional banking, as well as large banking organizations. And we even have an international banking portfolio known as foreign banking organizations. And in addition to that, I will say that our entities that we supervise, they span across the southeastern portion of the United States. And also, I will add that, you know, they're all members of the Federal Reserve System, as well as we have oversight of the bank holding companies as well. Very good. And and the flip side of that question is, what kind of banks does the Atlanta Fed not supervise? So we do not supervise entities such as finance companies, as well as credit unions, and banks that are not members of the Federal Reserve System, we do not supervise them. Right. Okay, well, let's uh, let's discuss what goes into evaluating a bank's ownership, uh, you know, officers, directors, and, and roles like that. What goes into that sort of evaluation? Tom, that's a great question. So I would just start off by saying that a key critical piece of that process are the interagency biographical and financial reports, also known as the IBFRs. Okay, let's tap the brakes on that one. What What's that report again? 
That's the IBFR, the Interagency Biographical and Financial Reports. Okay. Those reports are actually forms that are submitted to us, and those are actually used to evaluate the various competencies of the different shareholders, CEOs of various institutions. We actually use that form to look at biographical, financial, and employment data for specific individuals. Those forms may also elicit a fingerprinting process or a name check process, and that gives us background information on those types of individuals that allows us to look at the financial competency of the individuals, as well as their employment background, their integrity, their experience. All of that is used to evaluate how well they're able to lead from a safety and soundness standpoint, an institution. Right. You know, I, I just mentioned that there are other bank regulators. Uh, everybody's heard of the FDIC and, and maybe not so much the Office of the Controller of the Currency, but, but they are also bank regulators. Why would a bank want to become a, a state member bank and be, and be supervised by the Fed? Yeah, so we could probably sit here and talk about that for, for a long time. Maybe oh, that's another episode for later <laughs> down the road. I, I think, yeah, episode episode two and three maybe as a follow-up. But I, I think at a at a very high level, I think first starting with some of the values we have here at the Atlanta Fed. Um, we really do try to model integrity, excellence, and respect, and we try to carry that format into our supervisory work. Um, I think along those same lines, um, we think that a lot of the – uh, benefit that we we bring as a supervisor really kind of comes into the collaboration we have with other reserve banks, but also transparency and collaboration with our financial institutions. I think kind of to dig a little bit deeper, but not to go into maybe the episode two or three, we, we also kind of think about things from a value proposition of there's efficiency in being a Fed state member. There's some cost benefit. There's elements of the supervisory work that we have around tailoring our supervisory programs to the state member banks. And then also we think, again, we have and form really good relationships with, with our member banks and bring a lot of expertise. I mentioned it before, but we have examiners who cover a wide variety of different specialty skills. And that really helps us to hone in and bring some, some solid foundational supervisory work as we examine the, the member banks and, and our state member banks. Right. And, and a follow-up on that, what's involved in becoming a state member bank? What, what steps specifically would a bank have to take? Yeah, no. Uh, so, so again, this may be episode, episode three, too, um, because we, we really have a, a lot of different things. But at, at the highest level, we do ask that there's a certain documents and materials that are submitted to us to really allow us to review the financial information, the history, the management team, the management structure, future prospects, businesses and business structure within an organization, capital on capital structure. So there are elements of information that's submitted to us that we look at and evaluate as uh, different organizations are looking at becoming a member bank. Probably, I think we may get into it a little bit later, but th there's an application process and there's some forms that we have and all kinds of different uh, elements of the application process that we can not only point you to, I think we're going to put some put some links out on the uh, on the podcast, but we have links on our website as well. Right, and and what is the cost to file an application to become a member bank? Yeah, so for institutions that are less than a hundred billion dollars in consolidated assets, there's no membership application fee. Okay, well, let's say a bank wants to learn more and, and consider becoming a state member bank. Without getting into episodes four, five, and six, uh, what what's involved in that? I think the first step um, that we always uh, really try to encourage, and I mentioned about collaboration and transparency, is actually 
having a conversation with us. So we like to set up um, a pre-membership, pre-filing conversation with our leadership team, our executive officers here, and then also the prospective organization management and potential members. After that kind of discussion, we, we really, or during that discussion, we really try to lay out some of the preset information, like I mentioned before, the steps and processes that you have to follow for filing an application. But then we also try to highlight what are some of those things that the organization needs to think about as they're approaching the application process. So really trying to lay out some of those specific things that could be those at-risk items that would put an application in kind of limbo for a while. So we really try to work all that out in a conversation in advance at a pre-filing meeting, as we call it. So that's that's for a newly organized bank. What about for an existing bank? Yeah, so actually, let me, let me kind of step into the two pieces process-wise, again, at a very high level for a newly organized bank, um, but then, then also an existing bank. So at a high level for an organized bank, what we actually ask is for that organization to apply for deposit insurance with the FDIC. They also would have to apply with the appropriate state banking authority for a state charter. Um, then once they do that, they can submit that information to us for review. Um, and then once the charter is approved by the state, we ask for evidence of, of those approvals. So in addition to the pre-filing meeting that I talked about, where we talk about some of the process stuff, those are a few steps that, that an organization would follow as a newly formed bank um, when they kind of get into our process. For an existing bank that already has a charter, um, we would ask that institution to work with their current regulator um, and notify them of a charter change. We would ask them to apply with their state banking authority kind of like the, the newly formed organization would have to do. Then we would uh, um, look for the, the state banking application. We would then uh, work with the, uh, the current regulator and talk about a lot of the transition that would happen if they changed charters um, from that regulatory authority to be a state member bank with us. Right. And uh, speaking of existing banks, I want to talk just briefly about uh, banks with branches, which, of course, most of us are familiar with. When an established bank wants to open a new branch, uh, how, how complex is that? What's, what, what's involved there? Well, Tom, to kick off that process, an application must be submitted to the Reserve Bank in the form of a letter that includes a detailed description of the proposed branch. Also, a copy of the affidavit of the publication that goes into the newspapers should also be included with the letter. There's additional information that's located on our website that individuals can also go out and seek more information. Right. Speaking of, of branching, I'd like to ask you about trends in, in branching, if you can discuss that. Has the number of branches in the Southeast changed much in recent years, uh, you know, with the rise of electronic banking and so forth? You know, Tom, even with the rise of electronic banking, we are still seeing a steady flow of branching applications in the 6th District. So brick and mortar branches are still being, you know, constructed and people want those. Yeah, and I was going to actually add on to that a little bit. Yeah, I think the way that we're seeing institutions move towards a digital platform has actually changed around the approach they take to brick and mortar. So it may not be the standalone brick and mortar. It may be something that's in a retail front shop and so smaller branch, but still a lot of the same capabilities because there really is that need for customer interaction, right? There's, a, there's still a need for face-to-face -face interaction um, that the bankers are telling us they, they think the customers still want to exist, although there's still a lot more capabilities that are coming with mobile banking and so forth um, that kind of don't make you go into the branch like you used to. Yeah. Yeah, I used to see a branch inside my grocery store, which I thought was really, I didn't bake there, but I thought it was really convenient for those people who did. 
let's let's say that over time, you know, populations shift and a bank wants to move a branch as a result. How easy is it for a bank to, to move one of its branches? So, Tom, that's a great question. So I'm just going to tell you, I'm getting ready to go into tutorial mode now. Okay. So there's several, okay. several factors that play into you that. You warned me. Exactly. So it depends on several factors, such as if the branch needs to be moved, if it's within 1,000 feet of a principal city within an MSA, you can use, move it within 1,000 feet. You can move it one mile if it's within an MSA without a principal city. And thirdly, if it's not in an MSA at all, you can move it two miles. Those are just three major scenarios. If the scenario does not fit either one of those three categories, then a branch application must be filed and submitted to the Reserve Bank, as well as a, uh, an additional form, the branch closure notice as well. Yeah, I'm not surprised that sort of thing is very tightly defined. Um, how about the uh, the bank the bank's main office? Are the requirements to move that sort of location different? Yes, they are. A bank's main office, you do not have to file an application in order to move that. A main office of a branch is really not considered a branch, even though it does have branching activities that take place. It's not considered a branch. Main offices are exempt. Right. And and how about closing a branch? I've had this happen to me a few times. Exactly. I have as well. So with respect to the process to close a branch, it begins with a written notice that must be provided to the Reserve Bank and branch customers at least 90 days before closing. There are also notices that must also be posted at the actual branch for customers to view at least 30 days prior to the closing of that branch. And I will also add that what's very important is that the bank have a written branch opening and closing policy. Right. You know, I know the uh, CRA or the Community Reinvestment Act touches on branch banking and the availability of banking services to communities. Uh, does it touch on the opening or closing of branches? Yeah, as Arian stated, um, a bank must have a written branch opening and closing policy, and this is a requirement within CRA. You know, in, in preparing for our conversation today, I noticed that you'll be hosting a virtual event devoted to bank holding companies. Uh, can you briefly explain what a, a bank holding company is? You referred to, to them before. Is it something we use in our normal daily financial lives but don't have much awareness of? Yeah, so a bank holding company is a corporation that owns controlling interest in one or more banks, but really doesn't offer banking services itself. It can also have other kind of subsidiary uh, company operations within, but customers really wouldn't interact or, or be uh, kind of having one-on-one -on -one business interactions with a, with a holding company. Right. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned, Tom, the, the, the plug for our upcoming event. And I high-leveled a few things about becoming a state member bank earlier, um, but we do have the, uh, the Sixth District Community Bank Holding Company and Applications uh, Conference that's coming up. Um, it's a virtual event. It's uh, Tuesday, October 4th from 9 a.m. to noon. So really, uh, wanna, if, if anyone wants to get more information and plug in and, and hear more about not only the what a holding company is, but some of the information related to applications, we'd encourage uh, you to sign up and attend. Great. We'll mark our calendars, and uh, we'll be sure to uh, have a link to that information on the podcast webpage. What are some topics that affect bank holding companies today, have, and have those topics changed much in recent years? Tom, we have begun to see financial service companies interested in becoming bank holding companies by purchasing banks, and this would be considered a complex, non-traditional type of application compared to what we would see historically. Right. 
You know, let me ask you uh, about current trends in mergers and acquisitions. Um, I've been with banks over the years that have been swallowed up by banks that were swallowed up by larger banks and so on and so forth. Uh, what are the current trends in, in M&As today and, and what effect is it having on the banking industry overall? Great question, Tom. I would say in addition to what I previously mentioned, we are observing a steady merger and acquisition activity stream along with increased intent in Fed memberships, you know, banks desiring to seek Federal Reserve state member charters. And we're also seeing more complex cases, including non-bank subsidiaries of holding companies also. Right. And in general, what are some topics that bankers are most focused on these days? I always hear a lot, of, of course, about cyber risk and cybersecurity. And as supervisors, how do you help bankers deal with these concerns? What keeps them up at night and how do you help them get to sleep? Tom, you mentioned that cyber is something I think that's in in most every conversation. And like I mentioned before, we have a we have a lot of expertise currently exists, but we're building out um, in the exam world around around cyber and cyber risk. I think that's one one topic obviously that it's on everyone's mind um, personally and and in the in the banking world. Cryptocurrency, digital assets um, is, is a big one, too. Um, and we've had some focused efforts uh, around the Reserve Bank and other agencies really trying to understand and dig into what are some of the banking activities and, and, and banks' uh, involvement in crypto and, and digital assets. In addition to that, kind of on the innovation technology front, the financial technologies or fintech companies. And the Reserve Bank has had uh, several um, system-wide and, and local interactions with fintech companies and banks who are really partnering um, and trying to understand and offer different financial services through different channels. The cyber, crypto, fintech topics are, are hot topics right now. We're not only building out a lot of capabilities from our examination work there, um, but also interacting really closely with the industry to see what's going on. And I think one last thing I'd plug is I think everyone uh, is, is focused on what's on the horizon uh, for the economy, um, how do things post, uh, post-COVID impact banking conditions, financial conditions. Obviously, we're not going to get into a discussion of, of interest rates here and monetary policy, but obviously there's a, there's a, big, uh, there's a big impact on, on how banking and financial services really flow, flow with the economy and the state of the economy. Right. You know, I, I meant to ask you this earlier, so I want to circle back to, uh, to bank applications, which we discussed before. I've heard talk of a new tool for banks to use around applications. Can you uh, briefly discuss that tool? I I am excited to announce that as of October 17th, we will begin using Fed Easy File, which is a cloud-based tool through which mergers and acquisition filers can submit applications and related correspondence, and Federal Reserve staff can actually deliver official and related messages, all electronically, one-stop shopping. This will hopefully improve efficiency and processing. This will also allow for complete end-to-end processing using a single online platform, and it will make uh, the filers ease of use much greater, and it will also, you know, again, provide more efficiency to the filing of information. And so this will definitely have an impact on the applications processing. I will say, and this is just another shameless plug, that more information will be disseminated about Fed Easy File at the October 4th outreach event. Again, that's the one that is going to be the 6th District Community Bank Holding Company and Application Supervisory Perspectives event. So more information in detail will be provided at that time with respect to Fed Easy File. Shameless plugs is part of why we're here. Uh, so I should know this, but do we have information about Fed Easy File on the website? It is forthcoming. Okay, so we'll it, link it, to it when yes. it's available. Yes. Very good. 
well, guys, I want to thank you both so much for taking us behind the scenes like this. It's it's definitely a side of baking we don't hear about much, and I really appreciate your shedding light on all this and providing all this great information. We appreciate you having us. Yes, thank it's you. It's been great. I also want to give folks the opportunity to learn more about anything we've discussed today. So uh, how would people reach you if they wanted to? They can reach me at my email address, and that is arian.o.terry at atl.frb.org. The first name, Arian, is spelled E-R-I-E-N. Last name is Terry, T-E-R-R-Y. And to reach me, I'm John Pellick. It's John, J-O-H-N, dot Pellick, P-E-L-I-C-K, at atl.frb.org. Very good. And uh, John and Arian are both very nice fellows, and I promise you they'll be happy to answer your questions. And that brings us to the end of another episode of the Economy Matters podcast. Again, I'm Tom Hines, Managing Editor of Economy Matters magazine, and I really appreciate your spending time with us today. And I hope you'll join us again next month for a new episode. This has been a production of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. For more podcasts on this topic and others, please visit the Atlanta Fed's website at atlantafed.org.